Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. State Senator George Borello is back in the district after a state budget process that went a month and a day late. We have his reactions to the 2024 budget here. We have State Senator George Borello on the line with us today to talk about the recently passed state budget. So thank you for joining us. It's good to be back on with you. So, I mean, first I wanted to get your reaction to the budget. As I, I was saying to you before we started the call, I could kind of guess some of the things you were going to say, but I wanted to get it from you firsthand. Well, you know, I'd like to start off by putting things in perspective. Uh, you know, we just passed a record $229.8 billion New York State budget. That's 32% more than it was just four years ago. But also put that in perspective that that is $627 million per day, every single day, 365 days a year, that New York State government is spending. Uh, and, uh, you know, in Chautauqua County, for example, the entire budget uh, is about $250 million. So th- that means that before lunch today, New York State will have spent more than Chautauqua County spends in an entire year. Uh, now, certainly there are a lot of worthwhile programs. Uh, but, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons is that, you know, one in three New Yorkers is on Medicaid, and that's probably the single largest line item in our state budget, uh, as well as a huge burden on property taxpayers for the local share of Medicaid. So it's disappointing to think about all the people that I've spoken to, um, you know, hospitals that need funding, uh, people that deal with developmental disabilities um, that are underfunded, uh, employees that are underpaid, and, and yet we have this gigantic budget that is larger than the budgets of Florida and Texas combined. So um, to, to think of that and the huge increase just in four years, uh, it, it's, I think, something that could, should concern every New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Getting into specifics, I mean, you've put out some statements over the last two weeks on, after the budget was passed, and one of those things was on bail reform, and you expressed uh, disappointment with what had happened with bail reform. So I was hoping you could expand on that because on the surface, it looked like, you know, there had been some consensus between the legislature, including the, you know, the Democrats that were against any changes to bail reform. But you said that, that what was on paper was not really what, what the goal was. Well, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, uh, Governor Hochul certainly did uh, express you know, some tough talk about how she was going to change bail reform. But in the end, it was just so watered down, and uh, and the proof of that is the debates that we had both in the Senate and the Assembly on this, where uh, essentially the, the folks that uh, sponsored the original bail reform said, uh, yeah, we're not making any ch- uh, changes to bail reform. All this is doing is making clarifications. As it, you know, basically, they're saying judges are not smart enough to understand the bail reform laws, so we have to clarify them for them. So there, the, the, there are no substantive changes. Now, I know the governor is going to try to declare some kind of victory there, but you know, the proof will be in the pudding, because uh, the government's number one job is to keep its citizens safe. Bail reform has been a dangerous disaster. It has impacted every corner of the state, every small community. And uh, and unfortunately, 
uh, we're going to once again see no uh, substantive change, no significant change whatsoever to bail. And that's just bad for every New Yorker. So in terms of the judge's discretion, I mean, right now, the, the concern was is that judges didn't have enough discretion to say, OK, I'm going to set bail in a certain case, especially if someone's been before me one, you know, more than one time. Is that so there's nothing that changes with that? That's still an out, you know, an issue that's hanging out there for them? That's correct. New York State is the only state that doesn't give judges discretion to hold someone based on dangerousness. Uh, you know, and uh, in fact, in the debate, uh, you know, what thing that came up, one of the uh, key sponsors on the Democratic side said, well, how, you, how do you define dangerous? Which I think is rather an ignorant statement. It was a kind of an arrogant and ignorant statement. I know how you define dangerous. I mean, let's face it, if you have a dog that you let off the leash and it bites a kid, and then you take it off the leash again and it bites another kid, and a third time it bites a third kid, well, guess what? That's a dangerous dog. It shouldn't be off the leash. Uh, so I, I think it's foolish to say that we can't define that someone who's been released uh, under, under their own recognizance multiple times and committed more crimes and appearing back in court again, uh, that should be a consideration whether or not they can, uh, th- that bail can be set and they can be held even without bail. So this whole idea that we can't define things like what a criminal is and what dangerous is, uh, it's just uh, it, it, it's a travesty. This is common sense stuff, and most New Yorkers agree. Seventy uh, percent plus uh, of New Yorkers agree that we need to change this disastrous bail reform. That includes the majority of people in New York City, by the way. But uh, this has become untouchable uh, because of the radicals uh, that rule the Democratic Party in New York State. Mm-hmm. Moving on to another thing, now you know I'm, I'm picking some highlights in the budget here of things that you know were discussed a, a bit more in, her, in the news. Uh, minimum wage, we uh, are seeing we're going to see a continued increase in minimum wage starting. I think uh, I think it's going to go up to sixteen dollars an hour for upstate by. 2026. Uh, I one of the things I saw you can this is kind of a two-part question is you, you any comments you have on minimum wage and then it being eventually tied to inflation but I was particularly interested with what the Farm Bureau's uh, statement was on it that they had concerns about it but they seemed generally overall okay with a lot of things that were in the budget so I guess a two-parter there we'll start with the minimum wage uh, do you think that this is what is being proposed is reasonable in terms of a gradual step well, it's not. First of all, it's far too universal. I mean, there's a, a minimal difference between New York City and upstate New York. Uh, and, you know, there's a misconception of who is being paid minimum wage. The bottom line is, is minimum wage, Most, the vast majority of people that are getting minimum wage are young, unskilled workers, their first-time job, you know, whether it's working in a restaurant or something somewhere else. These are people that, you know, typically need a lot of training, a lot of supervision. Uh, you know, they want to, they call it a living wage. I'm sorry, the minimum wage is not a living wage. It is a starting wage. And, uh, but more importantly, you know, uh, we have seen a trend. If you look at uh, the federal uh, Department of Labor statistics, as the minimum wage goes up, so does teen unemployment. Uh, and I can tell you personally, as, as someone who owns a business that uh, is a seasonal business that employs a lot of high school and college-age kids, as a lot of the hospitality industry is, these are the first jobs for a lot of kids. They learn, you know, uh, the, the value of working, how to interact uh, with the public, and, and uh, you know, they learn good life lessons. And, and so many people, their first job was working at, I don't care if it was McDonald's or, or, or a local mom-and-pop restaurant. Those are the kind of jobs that are going to go away. Um, you know, you, you've got to cut labor. And uh, I'm sorry, you know what? Maybe you can get $30 for a cheeseburger in New York City, but you can't get $30 for a cheeseburger in Jamestown. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, this increasing minimum wage is going to reduce opportunity. And in the end, it's going to it's going to increase reliance on government uh, and uh, 
And this is just a, it's what's called wage compression. It forces up the wages for everyone, which is why we are suffering inflation. So in the end, low-wage workers will be hurt the most by this because of the massive inflation that we've continued to see. There seems to be no end in sight. And uh, that is uh, going to impact low-wage workers. Uh, and, and finally, if you look at this, we, are, we border Pennsylvania, okay? You can live in Pennsylvania and work in New York State very easily. There is no stream of people coming across the border from Pennsylvania to take minimum wage jobs in New York. The minimum wage in Pennsylvania is the federal minimum wage, half our minimum wage, uh, essentially, at seven twenty-five an hour. So if, the, if people were being paid minimum wage in, in Pennsylvania, they would be coming across and taking those jobs here. But that's not happening because the market really sets the wage. So this is just a political ruse, unfortunately. When it comes to the Farm Bureau, I mean, they, we, we saw changes within the Farm Bureau with the um, Farm Laborers Board uh, Farm Labor Board's decision to, you know, lower the threshold for overtime and, and the state uh, saying, okay, and going ahead with that back in September. So, have you, I mean, have you talked to anybody, had a chance to talk with anybody about how minimum wage will affect the agricultural community? Well, yeah, again, you're talking about agriculture, which, you know, uh, the vast majority of people that are in agriculture are, are price takers. They do not set the price the items that they produce uh, you know the the price of milk is, is set uh, you know by, at the market rate um, and uh, the, the, this is going to be an even bigger impact on, on agriculture there are a lot of labor intensive uh, crops uh, and, and so forth that the people are just going to get out of the business uh, or automate and what happens is automation is very very expensive so our small family farms will be forced out because of this now the governor has offered you know this overtime uh, uh, threshold uh, subsidy. So uh, we're going to have taxpayers subsidizing these overtime well, wages, which uh, you know, may or may not um, cushion the blow, but at the end of the day, I don't think that this is right. New York is one of only, I believe, three states in the nation, none of which are, on the, are, are east of the Mississippi River, except for New York, that imposes this. It's mostly you know, western states uh, with longer growing seasons, uh, and, and, mul- and, and more diverse uh, you know, uh, agriculture than we have in New York that can afford to absorb these type of, of, of overtime thresholds. And, and it's a, it's a, it was a, a solution in search of a problem because we held um, uh, hearings uh, in the Republican conference where we, we couldn't, we talked to the workers themselves, said, please don't do this. I will have to go to other states so I can make more money. Uh, so uh, it's just, again, a political ruse um, and a solution that was in search of a problem that's going to devastate New York agriculture, uh, along with the other, all the other things, that, all the other bad policies out of Albany that have hurt agriculture. The budget also includes a, a ban on natural gas and new construction, I think, starting in 2026. And you've been strongly against this move. And you even introduced new legislation this week regarding the manufacturing of renewable energy equipment. So uh, could you talk to more about more about the new legislation? I and mean, you're welcome, obviously, to share your comments about what's included in the budget as well. Well, you know, again, the governor was, uh, you know, and, and a lot of my Democratic colleagues were trying to backpedal on some of this, the most devastating natural gas uh, bans, essentially banning reliable forms of energy, particularly here in western New York where so many people heat their homes and, and uh, you know, manufacture things using natural gas. So this is just an irresponsible move that's just bowing to the most radical elements of, of the climate movement. Um, that being said, what my latest bill is, is essentially is, uh, if you're going to talk the talk, let's walk the walk. And it says that any form of renewable energy uh, in New York State, that those products, the solar panels and wind turbines, need to come from places where they're actually manufactured 
using renewable energy. Because the really the literally the dirty little secret here is the fact that all of these the vast majority of, of the wind and, and solar come from foreign countries like China. Uh, they're you know they are manufactured using slave labor uh, down in the Congo. They use child labor. And, and it's under horrible environmental and human conditions. Uh, the uh, you know the, the carbon footprint, if you will, the the, the environmental devastation in, in producing all these products, transporting them, uh, constructing them far outweighs whatever benefit in the life cycle of these wind turbines and solar panels. So I'm just saying, look at if you're if this is truly about saving the planet and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, then let's do it responsibly. And there are ways to do that. You know, uh, we do not need to bring in the cheapest made stuff from foreign countries uh, where, uh, again, it, there are human rights violations and horrible environmental conditions. Uh, we can have them produced here in the United States, and it can be done with the renewable energy. So let's, if you're going to talk the talk, let's walk the walk. That's what my new bill says. Have you seen examples of this being done anywhere else, either in the United States or other countries? I mean, I know that there's, I think some European countries have been working to become, like in terms of the energy that they output, that it's all, you know, doesn't rely on fossil fuels. So I wasn't sure if there was something that you were looking at as an example. Well, let's keep in mind one thing. The United States and New York in particular is the only one that's trying to do this without also using nuclear power or, or and using things like natural gas as a bridge fuel. We're just going to literally just turn off the spigot and pretend uh, that uh, that New York can be 100% uh, renewable energy. It's not going to happen. But the bigger issue here, to your point, is that um, you know I've referred to green energy as just a, a big investment scam, and it absolutely is. And that's because the companies are doing this, all these fly-by-night companies, these Wall Street LLCs that are there to solely profit off the taxpayers, they're not going to buy uh, responsibly produced solar panels and wind turbine parts. They're going to buy the cheapest ones uh, from China and everywhere else because that's how they make the most profit. And the only profit comes at the expense of the taxpayers uh, of New York State and, and the United States. So there may be technology out there. I've heard about it. I've heard about recyclable wind blades. Uh, I've heard about uh, you know new technology that is not as disruptive, but that is not required in, in New York State or the United States, and it isn't occurring as a result. So all this new technology that I hear people bragging about isn't coming to the United States because at the end this is all about profit. It's about crony capitalism, and it's about uh, political uh, posturing. It's not about uh, the climate. Uh, you're, you included nuclear energy in there, and I realize nuclear energy has its own issues in terms of how you create it. Uh, but is is that something, I guess, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, green energy or, you know, renewable energy. Is nuclear something that should be more on the table, uh, you know, when it comes to New York State or even other areas? Yeah, we've been, we've been shutting down nuclear power plants. We've, we've allowed them to age and become, uh, you know, uh, just phased out. But if you look at other countries like France, a lot of European countries, you know, it's nuclear power. And, and you even have, you know, countries like Germany that uh, that are now going back to coal. And, of course, you've got China, the world's greatest polluter uh, and, and uh, responsible for about a third of all the greenhouse gas emissions. They're opening new coal plant after new coal plant after new coal plant. Nuclear is not perfect, but done right, it can be done safely, and it is a clean, renewable energy. Uh, and that's really, at this point, the only practical way uh, we also don't in, in, uh, embrace hydroelectric power. In fact, uh, you know, the, the climate socialists don't even consider hydroelectric power to be clean and renewable, which is a joke. Uh, we, are, we are the third largest uh, producer of hydroelectric power in the nation here in, in, uh, in New York State, and there, we could do more, but we don't uh, because it doesn't enrich all these foreign companies 
uh, that, that are profiting off of wind and solar. So when it comes to, there's some other small, I wouldn't, maybe it's not a small part, but there's a, a, something that was in the state budget that you put a press release on, re, press release out on off-track betting and the changes yeah. with that. So can you yeah. tell, explain what happened with that and why does it matter to Western New York? Well, right now we have 15 municipalities, 13 counties, or excuse me, 17 municipalities, 15 counties, and two cities that have made up the the off-track betting, uh, you know, the which is essentially the the you know, the the, you know, the not-for-profit uh, corporation that uh, runs, uh, you know, the uh, you know places like Batavia Downs and so forth, and it it has been uh, you know a working well for 50 years, uh, but under the under the guise of trying to uh, you know root out corruption. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Tim Kennedy, introduced legislation that failed, so he introduced it into the budget uh, that would shift the power, uh, and it would be the only OTB in New York State, the Western Region OTB, that would now be a weighted vote that heavily favors um, Erie County and Buffalo. It would allow them to determine uh, how the money is, is distributed, uh, and more importantly, how the operations are run. Right now, the only profitable entity in the Western Region OTB is Batavia Downs, which is in my district. Uh, it has had record profits. It's being run very well, uh, and they will not have the power uh, to uh, essentially uh, kill the golden goose, and I just think that's wrong. You know, every, every county got a vote. Uh, the cities of Buffalo and Rochester had their own vote on top of Erie County and Monroe County, uh, and that system has worked well. It was fair, largely because the rural communities like Chautauqua, Genesee County, and others are where the profits come from. They don't come from Rochester and Buffalo uh, and Erie County and Monroe, Monroe County. The profits come from the rural counties, which is why they all deserve a level playing field when it comes to the votes. And sadly, <clears throat> this, is, this is one more example of why we shouldn't have policy in the budget, and this is certainly uh, just an unfair uh, power grab uh, for, uh, for, for Erie County and uh, Monroe County and Buffalo and Rochester. Speaking of policy and the budget, and this is something that ended up coming out of the budget, and it's going to be continue to be discussed for the rest of the legislative session, is uh, this housing compact that was uh, proposed by Governor Hochul. And uh, I think there was concerns that were brought up by both the Senate and Assembly, and which is why I decided to, to take it out of the budget process. So when it comes to what was being proposed, I mean, initially, Governor said she wanted to have 800,000 new units across New York State, uh, and uh, there were some, you know, way she was going to make that happen in the legislature sounds like you were saying well no uh what what are some what are what are you willing to support with that housing compact or housing plan well you know let's let's not forget that um when the governor rolled this out in her uh in her you know her budget presentation you know we saw a lot of democrats that were applauding and cheering this idea then all of a sudden you know they unwrapped the details and unraveled the details and saw how irresponsible this is going to be it was largely because you were going to override uh, local control. You know, the bottom line is, if you want to make housing more affordable in New York State, we need to make New York State a more affordable place to live and a safer place to live. And this housing compact isn't going to do that. Uh, you know, at the very least, uh, you know, this was uh, it was going to be not only horrible government overreach, but it was, you're talking about uh, you know going uh, to communities that uh, may be already overburdened and saying we're going to make you build high rises, multifamily. Uh, housing uh, and uh, without you know, really having the infrastructure to support that, and and she was going to say, and, and, and if you read, and I read this during the budget process, you know, essentially what the governor was accusing local governments, like on Long Island and and elsewhere, is that uh, you you know that um, your policies have been racist and discriminatory. That's why the government needs to, this, 
that state governments to come in and override your local control, which was just a horrible and, and, and a false claim that was made by the governor. So this fell apart because of grassroots uh, opposition to it. And uh, what I can support is let's make New York more affordable. What I can support is let's incentivize people to build housing, not penalize it, uh, the people. And, and in the end, New York State needs to be more affordable. That is the only solution to, to stop the out-migration and to make uh, something as simple as the dream of owning your own home a reality for more New Yorkers. One of the things I think was being proposed, at least by, I don't know if it was by Democrats and Republicans or just Democrats, was this idea of a let's still give the money or have the money out there to encourage, you know, rehabbing or building new new facilities. Is that something that, you know, that you would say I agree to that kind of aspect? Well, we already have those programs, right? I mean, we already have things like that in place uh, out there. And uh, certainly I would support more funding uh, for that. But, but you know, you have to look at it from through the lens of what is the ultimate goal here? Uh, we have so much old housing stock in, in, in areas like we live in. Uh, is, is the goal to, you know, to have someone uh, buy a home, invest in it, uh, fix it up? Then yes, let's, let's, let's try and find ways to help uh, folks do that. Or, or is the goal to, to create a, a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, of new housing that, that puts multiple families under a small footprint uh, that, uh, you know, we, and we're already seeing this happen. There's already a lot of bad actors in this space you know you uh, i'm dealing with a situation right now in genesee county where you know a contractor promised to, to build workforce housing you know people that uh you know make uh, middle income <clears throat> folks or, or lower middle income people that, that are that uh, can have affordable housing and then all of a sudden it was a bait and switch and now it's going to be section 8 housing and this is a story that can be told over and over again across new york state so let's root out the bad actors and let's support uh, true uh uh, workforce housing. Let's support uh, you know improving our housing stock uh, and incentivizing people uh, to buy and live in their own home instead of having a lot of absentee landlords uh, and uh, and folks that aren't you know taking care of their property. I can get behind that as a, you know, as a, as a goal, but not the way the governor has proposed it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else on the budget that I didn't ask you about that you would want to you know touch on? <clears throat> well, you know, I, I go back to the. The size and scope of this budget, and the fact that um, you know we're spending all this money, and yet there are still so many uh, people in need that are that are caring for some of our most vulnerable citizens that haven't gotten that. You know, uh, uh, so that that absolutely concerns me. Um, you know, it it concerns me, and I will bring up that uh, I am co-sponsoring a bill with uh, with a downstate uh, Democratic colleague of mine, uh, Senator Fernandez. Uh, she and I are, are are in agreement that we need to take policy out of the budget. And uh, this is not a. This is really not a partisan issue. Even uh, uh, the majority leader, Andrea Stewart Cousins, said there was far too much policy in this latest budget, and it's also the reason why it was so late. So uh, we, myself, and several members on the Republican and Democrat side, are working together on this piece of legislation to to uh, to essentially make it, make it uh, illegal uh, to put policy in the budget. Uh, I think that's the right path. Uh, I'm glad uh, to stand with someone who perhaps I don't agree with on a lot of other issues. Uh, but we can agree on this, uh, and uh, I think it shows that uh, New Yorkers deserve an open and transparent process, particularly when it comes to uh, such controversial issues like, like bail reform and, and so forth. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, this will get a lot of support and momentum, and we can kind of uh, you know, fix what I think is the problem of having policy in our state budget. So th- in terms of this legislation, does it go further than what is already in the state constitution, which supposedly says that you can't, you know, that these 
the policy and the budget should be shall not intertwine? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, unfortunately, I would say that we violate our state constitution on a daily basis in Albany. Yeah, this kind of brings us back around to, to, to that because I, I think they've essentially played a, a loophole. Look, you, you, when you have an army of lawyers, you know, you can figure out a way around anything, right? Uh, this is about being true to the uh, to that uh, to that mandate and uh, ensuring that um, our now that we now have uh, you know policy or I should say law that follows the the, the spirit of, of that. Uh, in the Constitution. So, uh, yeah, I, I would, and I'm sure you can ask my good friend, Asun Bidel, to talk about the violations of our Constitution that occur in Albany, uh, but this is certainly one of them, and we need to fix that. Okay. And I have to ask, were there any bright points for you in the state budget that was passed uh, on uh, May 2nd? There, well, there certainly are. I mean, we had uh, certainly our, our schools uh, what we're, uh, we're taking care of uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, there are other things out there uh, that uh, I, I'm certainly uh, glad to see happen. And, you know, when you, when you have uh, nearly $230 billion to spend, there's certainly some bright spots. There's no doubt about it. Uh, um, but, um, you know, that's that, those are just maybe just a couple examples. But the bottom line is, yeah, there's good things out there that are going to benefit our community uh, in the long run. But there's also a lot of, you know, pork around it, and that's the, that, that's the, that's the troubling part. Is there anything else? I mean, you've mentioned a few things that you're going to be working on legislatively, you know, before the session ends. Is there anything else that you're going to hope to accomplish uh, before, whenever you uh, adjourn in June? You know, uh, right now we're, we're staying, uh, you know, down the barrel of about three weeks left uh, of session. And my focus right now is on a lot of local bills. Um, you know, we have to, uh, uh, you know, we have to renew uh, the, uh, the sales tax and, and the occupancy tax in Chautauqua County. That has to be done every couple of years. Um, we've got other local bills that are very important to people, and certainly we want to continue uh, to ensure that we have support for uh, initiatives like uh, cleaning up Chautauqua Lake and others. So, myself and Assemblyman Goodell, those are big, uh, you know, those are big local concerns uh, that we're going to continue to push through. I have several local bills uh, that uh, that are on the docket that we're trying to get uh, uh, accomplished, and unfortunately, we're behind the eight ball with the um, budget being more more than a month late. Uh, so I'm sure there will be a lot of long sessions and a lot of late nights, but uh, I'm confident that we will get those local priorities uh, you know, across the, the finish line before the end of session. All right. Anything else that you'd like to add, Senator? Well, I would just like to say, as, you know, as I, as I uh, look and see what a beautiful day, it's great to be back in the district and back in Chautauqua County. And, uh, you know, uh, summer is right around the corner. Uh, this is one of those moments where you, I'm just, you know, so glad to live where we live and, and, and appreciate how, how wonderful and beautiful our area is. And I would encourage people to get out there and enjoy it. And as someone who's traveled around the country and, and, and certainly around the state, uh, I can tell you that we do live in a, in a, in a beautiful, unique place. And, uh, you know, despite uh, the issues uh, brought up uh, from time to time, uh, this is still, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And uh, I think we, all, we, we shall appreciate and enjoy that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Senator Borrello. Thank you.